Section 25 of The Children's Wonder Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. Paul 90. The Children's Wonder Book. The Pursuit of Happiness by Tudor Jenks. Sometimes very strange things happen. There was once a discontented small boy. He saw many things which he was sure he would like to have. He found his clothes uncomfortable, or not so fine as he would have wished them to be. His family was not in all respects exactly to his taste. Occasionally he had things to do which he did not care to do. The fame of this remarkable lad spread far and wide. Proprietors of circuses and museums in vain tried to persuade his parents to exhibit him. His father, a very busy man, had to give much of his time to keep the boy's name out of the papers, and his mother was forced to vary his costume every time he went out. Of course, things were different in those days. Now the same boy would be much less remarked. In those days, a long time in the future, I believe it is, a discontented boy was indeed a rarity and this one was a remarkably fine specimen. His name I have not yet found out, but I expect it is Rudolphus. As there will be no difficulty in distinguishing him, we will call him Rudolphus during the recital of his adventures. The most striking symptom of dissatisfaction which he exhibited was discovered by his parents at the early age of fifteen. Soon after his fifteenth birthday, Rudolphus was invited with his kind parents to a picnic. It was at the seashore, and the weather was fine. Rudolphus was brushing the sand from a hard-boiled egg which he had dropped upon the beach for the third time, when without warning he looked up into the face of his happy mother, and said with much deliberation, I wish I had a million dollars. In spite of the distinctness with which he spoke, his mother could not believe she had understood him. What did you say? she asked. I wish, repeated Rudolphus, that I had a million dollars. There could be no mistake. His tender-hearted mother burst into tears, and excusing herself to the merry throng of picnickers, she sought out her husband, who was happily building sandhills for the waves to destroy. Calling him aside, she confided the whole story to the grieved father. It is a most extraordinary occurrence, said Mr. Rudolphus, as we may call him. For many years no similar case is recorded. And why this blow should come upon us in a moment without warning is beyond my comprehension. For a minute his emotion overpowered him. Recovering himself with an effort, he went on firmly, But I must meet it like a man. If Rudolphus wishes for a million dollars, why a million dollars Rudolphus must have. In no other way can he be convinced of the uselessness of wealth. Send him to me. Do not be severe with the boy, begged the mother, putting her gentle fingers upon the father's coat sleeve. Rudolphus is but a boy. He does not realize how much better it is to live without a superfluity of wealth. I shall not be severe with him, said the father, smiling reassuringly into the mother's pleading face. But think, this is the first sign of discontent since the old days when all men wished for money. Suppose the example should spread. Do you wish to see the world return to the Dark Ages? Consider, Mrs. Rudolphus, consider history. Mrs. Rudolphus shuddered. No, oh no, she said. I have read too much of the unhappiness of the past. But let us pay no attention to the idle talk of a thoughtless child. 
Rodolphus may never think of the matter again. Won by his wife's pleading, the stern brows of Mr. Rodolphus relaxed, and he at length agreed to pass over this offence as the aimless talk of a careless boy. But, as I have hinted, Rodolphus did not reform. In fact, by the time he was seventeen, he was known far and wide, near and narrow, high and low, as the discontented boy, and his parents saw that something must be done ere it was too late. At first they tried to reason with him. His father, a skilled logician, proved with mathematical exactness that Rudolphus had all he could eat, all he could wear, full opportunities for a free education at the expense of the state, the assurance of a fixed income, and a pension for his old age. Still, Rudolphus was silent. "'Well, my boy,' said his father, "'what more do you find to ask for?' "'Father,' said Rudolphus, respectfully but firmly, "'it is impossible for me to perpetrate a falsehood. "'I wish I had a million dollars.' "'I see,' replied his father, "'that the case is serious, not to say hopeless.' I know of but one course to pursue. You shall have a million dollars and enjoy life in your own way. Experience is the best of teachers. Fortunately, I can readily grant your wish. You know that my sister, your aunt, is one of the Supreme Council. Foreseeing this moment, I have already applied to the government, through her, for the sum you desire, and upon her representation that the money is needed for the cause of education, the Council has kindly placed that amount at her disposal. She is quite willing to turn the money over to you, and indeed has already done so. If you will go to my writing desk, you will find in the top drawer a certified check for one million dollars on the nation. Take it, my son, and do with it as you think best. I cannot give you my blessing, but at least I can wish you may come to no harm. Wringing his father's hand, the happy boy ran to the desk and soon returned bringing the check. He found his father still seated where he had left him at the library table and buried in thought. Father, said Rodolphus, is there no mistake about the money? Can I really expend it as I choose? As you choose, replied his father solemnly. But remember that no one cares for money now. Since every person has enough, no one wishes for a superfluity. All have enough to eat, enough to wear, and enough to do. You have not, therefore, the same power that this large amount of money would once have given you. Still, you can certainly hire anyone to do for you the work which they choose to do. Of course, no one will know that you have more than your fellows, so long as you do not yourself reveal the fact. I understand, said Rodolphus, and his eyes twinkled. Goodbye, father, he said. I have been discontented, I admit, but I could not help it. I crave excitement. Life here is happy, but it is dull, very dull. If it were not for an occasional boiler explosion, railroad accident, or electric discharge, it would be unendurable. I am but a boy, I know, but I think I can be happier in my own way. Do not think hardly of me, father. Under the old constitution, about which Professor Jorkins told us in his ancient history course, man was entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Somehow, father... Here Rudolphus was compelled to pause for a moment. His feelings overpowered him. Somehow, I think those ancient fellows were not altogether wrong. Goodbye, father. Thank my aunt for her kindness, and say goodbye to mother. You are happy thus, but I am not. Goodbye. Stepping to the elevator, 
Rudolphus sank out of sight. Stifling his emotion in a handkerchief, Mr. Rudolphus said huskily, Unfortunate man that I am. Why is it my son who is the first to thus revert to the discontent of his ancestors? At this moment the electric annunciator sounded its call to the day's work, and Mr. Rudolphus hurried away. As for Rudolphus, he was more discontented than ever. But now his discontent was not hopeless. Full of enthusiasm, he rushed to a well-known meeting place in the suburbs. With an impatient hand, he adjusted the telephone and hurriedly sent a number of messages. Rudolphus, while awaiting the result of the hasty summons he had dispatched, seated himself at the head of a long table covered with green bays and ran his eye over some papers which he drew from his pocket. Yes, he said triumphantly, all is in order. We needed but the money, and now even that lack is supplied. Rudolphus was not long alone. A young man soon entered the room and seated himself at the right hand of the newly-fledged millionaire. Another followed and seated himself at the left. Another and another joined these first comers, until the table was filled. Gentlemen, said Rudolphus. Citizens, prompted the young man at the right. Gentlemen, repeated Rudolphus firmly. I have the honour to announce that all is now ready for the execution of our plans. But the money? asked the young man at his left. All is ready, said Rudolphus. I have the money. Three rousing cheers followed this unexpected announcement. When silence was restored, Rudolphus, flushed with pleasure, resumed. I have here a cheque for one million dollars and... Again the young man at his right interrupted him. But worthy president, is it? Rudolphus did not wait for the question to be finished. Impolite as it was, the president in turn interrupted the secretary. Yes, said President Rudolphus. The cheque, most noble secretary Montgomery, is certified. The cheers again broke forth. The president made a warning gesture with his hand. Hush, he said. Time enough for cheering when we are upon the blue seas. Now we must act and without delay. Here are the directions. You, Secretary Montgomery, must give the directions for the hull. I will attend to the rigging personally. The treasurer, turning to the young man at his left, may see to the supplies, while others will attend to the proper ordinance and the dynamite. Enough to your duties. Four short weeks later, a small but beautifully proportioned steamer set sail from an island not far from the harbour's mouth. In vain did the national cruisers strive to overtake her. Even the swiftest torpedo boat, which had made fifty knots on her trial trip and was good for at least thirty-five, was left behind as readily as the slowest of the squadron. Without showing her colours, firing her gun, or playing a tune on her electric whistle, the strange steamer made for the offing and was soon out of sight. Morning broke and found the swift craft far out at sea and steaming merrily over the waves with all the speed her quintuple expansion electric motor could add to her excellent steam power. Upon the railed gallery of her conning tower stood Rudolphus. At last, he said with a sigh of heartfelt joy, at last we are pirates. Then drawing from his pocket an ancient leather-bound volume, he pressed it to his heart. Oh, Captain Kidd, how often have I poured in rapture over your delightful pages when I was supposed to be studying the latest volume in political economy? 
You it is, Captain Kidd, who first taught my youthful heart the delights of freedom, and showed me where true happiness was to be found. And now I, too, am a pirate. But his happy dreaming was interrupted. Smoke ho! cried the lookout. Order up the instantaneous photographer, said Captain Rodolphus, and let the telescopic camera be adjusted on the weather bow. The first officer telephoned the order, and in a moment the apparatus was adjusted, the button was pressed by the pirate captain's own hand, the plate was developed by the assistant developer, and the completed picture, gummed to a neat pasteboard card, was handed to the impatient captain. Aha! he said gleefully. The national wheat boat on her way to India to procure supplies. We shall make a rich haul of trade dollars. Turning to the telephone, the captain shouted, Hello, Central? Hello, was the reply. What number? 323, in a hurry, said the captain. The bell rang, and the captain resumed, Hello, who are you? The trigonometer. Very good. How far away is the wheat boat when she takes a picture one inch long? After a pause, the answer came. Four miles, Captain. All right, goodbye. The captain then telephoned a few rapid orders, and in a minute or two, the kangaroo motor sent the light steamer to within dynamite range of the outward bound wheat boat. Firing a gun cotton shell across her bows, Rudolphus caused the other vessel to heave too. A receiving and transmitting telephone was then placed in a light hollow shell of rubber and fired aboard the wheat boat. Who are you? And what are you firing at us for? were the questions which Rudolphus heard through the telephone as he raised it to his ear. I, he replied, am the celebrated pirate Captain Rudolphus, the terror of the seas. After a pause, the message came. We never heard of you. Well, I've just started, said Rudolphus, glad that the telephone wire did not reveal his blushes. But that's what I'm going to be. Well, what do you want? I want your trade dollars, said Rudolphus, angered by the slight chuckle which his improved telephone had brought to his ears. And if I don't get them, I shall send after you one of the most improved, self-propelling, self-feeding, self-directing, and self-exploding torpedoes you ever saw. The Sockdologer Improved Reissued Number 10 Submarine. Perhaps you've heard of it? Nonsense, was the reply. What? asked Captain Rudolphus in reply. Nonsense! The answer was unmistakable. Dropping the telephone, Captain Rudolphus touched an electric button and the sockdologer was sent upon its horrid errand. Then he telephoned again to the fated vessel. The sockdologer is on her way! And indeed so it was, for high up in air could be heard its war cry, sent forth by the sockdologer itself through its phonographic steam whistle and talk attachment. It could be heard on both vessels. Here I come, the Sockdologer number 10 improved submarine. Nothing can save you but immediate surrender. Beware of imitations. Look for the signature of the inventor after the explosion. None others are genuine. Here I come. Do you surrender? If you do, blow your whistle three times. Going, going. The wheat boat blew her whistle three times. After a short explanation by wire, the Sockdologer came slowly back. The talk attachment saying, the Sockdologer torpedoes can be obtained from all reputable dealers in dynamite or other high explosives or will be sent direct. We employ no agents. Do not be deceived. Ask for the genuine number 10 and take no other. Then a boat loaded with trade dollars came to the pirate steamer and was hoisted on deck. Several others loaded with other valuables followed, 
and after the booty was secured, the pirate steamer proceeded on her cruise. Other rich prizes rewarded Rodolphus and his crew, and their days were as happy as pirates could wish. Weeks passed by, and their good luck continued. But one day the lookout reported an electric cruiser dead ahead. She was flying the national flag, and as she came within hearing distance, Captain Rudolphus heard a whizzing in the air above him. He turned sharply, looked upward, and saw a flying torpedo hovering like a hummingbird over his head. In a moment a telephone wire was dropped upon the deck, bearing a label which read, Attach this to your telephone, or you'll be blown to pieces. He attached it to the telephone without unnecessary delay. Then he heard a voice say, Are you Captain Rudolphus, the alleged terror of the seas? I am, he answered. What's your armament? Sockdologer's improved number ten, he answered. Submarine? What? Oh, yes, submarine. Well, we're from the National Cruiser, and she's armed with the Sockdologer number twelve, aerial torpedo. Do you surrender? Why, of course, said Rudolphus. I only wanted to have a little fun. <laughs> Very good said the torpedo man, who seemed to be a courteous sailor. You and your crew can get into the boats and go on board the cruiser. Your boat is a month old and she's not worth saving. I shall blow her up in half an hour. Understand? Oh, yes, said Rodolphus. Goodbye. Goodbye, said Rodolphus. The pirate captain and his crew at once entered the boats, and the launches carried them to the cruiser. Then from the deck of the National Cruiser, the captain and his crew watched the operation of Sock Dolliger No. 12. It was certainly a very effective weapon. The explosion was not loud, but the result was satisfactory. The pirate vessel rose in a cloud of dust and then fell in fragments upon the waves. Among the pieces could be seen a number of neat rubber balloons, upon each of which was printed, so the pirates were told, a short and attractive advertisement of this, the newest thing in torpedoes. Then, her work accomplished, the National Cruiser proceeded homeward. Do you use the kangaroo attachment? asked Rudolphus of the captain. Oh no, we use the sea serpent propeller. We shall be at home in two hours, said the captain. And so they were. A large crowd was gathered to welcome them, for the exploits of the terror of the seas had caused much amusement among the citizens. The inventors were very grateful to Rodolphus, and meant to petition the government to release him. It had been so long since they had had anything to do that they looked upon the piratical crews as a benefaction to their kind. But of course it would not do to allow so public a manifestation of discontent to pass unnoticed. The council was convened, and after a long debate, decided that Rudolphus and his crew should be known as antiquated individuals. The punishment was thought to be severe but they were young and might some day hope for pardon and restoration to citizenship, provided, of course, that they remained contented with their lot thereafter. When Rudolphus returned home, his mother was awaiting him in the reception room. Their interview was affecting. Rudolphus was, after all, a good son, and he loved his mother. He was affected by seeing her tears and spoke to her encouragingly. Do not weep, mother, he said. Here I am, safe and sound. My adventure may have been thoughtless, but I should never have been happy unless I had tried the experiment. 
It has cost only a few millions, and the government can easily spare the money. They ought not to regret the expense, as our example may keep others from similar courses. Let bygones be bygones. To others I may be an antiquated individual, but to you, mother, to you I am always your own Rudolphus. Cheered by these brave and loving words, Mrs. Rudolphus regained her composure and led Rudolphus to his father. The meeting between father and son was affecting also. After a few moments, Mr. Rudolphus said, My boy, I cannot regret the past. You have certainly learned a lesson which is well worth what it cost. You will, I am sure, never forget it. Hereafter, let us never refer to the matter. Let the terror of the seas be buried in the ocean of oblivion. For my part, I will say nothing to you except... Welcome home, my son. Still, let me hear from your own lips the acknowledgement that you made a mistake. Frankly, my son, were you not wrong? Could a million dollars make you contented? No, father, said Rodolphus in a tone of conviction. I was wrong. A million dollars was not enough. I should have made it ten millions at the least. The boy's parents eyed him for some moments in speechless surprise. Then Mr. Rudolphus said, Well, let us go to dinner. End of section 25